Well, last time we talked about the trials and travails of healthcare online forms, which require you to fill in much more than you would rather, and uh, encourage you to have more faith than you should in the uh, multiple institutions down the line of that information, which is highly sensitive and certainly qualifies as private. Uh, this time we were going to talk about another pitfall uh, of our modern world, which seeks to track everybody here and there, which is um, traveling. When you move your body around in space, you are no longer um, you are no longer outside the all-seeing eye of Sauron. Everybody knows <laughs> where you are headed at all times. And so we're going to talk about some of the trials we had um, trying to maintain a little bit of anonymity as we were going through uh, the country. During and, our travels. And then getting caught off guard several times. Yes, there are lots of pitfalls, and it is difficult to um, seal yourself up unless without having constant vigilance, which is, I guess, one, one of the points that I would like ultimately to come with, to come to, which is uh, that in order to be private, um, have a reasonable degree of privacy, should not require Herculean or antisocial um, behavior. But it does. But at the moment, it certainly does. Yeah. I think Mad-Eye Moody from uh, the Harry Potter books, constant vigilance. Yes, it does. I mean, it's a kind of, um, it's its own kind of hypochondria. <laughs> that's a good way of putting that it. That is required. But actually, that's really required. Um, I've read through uh, the book by Michael Bazell on extreme privacy. and You got the new edition, didn't you? I did. I got the new edition. Um and one of the things that's shocking about it is that it really is extreme. I mean, you have to create shell corporations, LLCs. You have to create trusts, living trusts, um, revocable trusts, all this legal apparatus in order to not be doxxed. Yeah, you, and you can't slip up. It actually kind of reminds me of reading detective novels and where like the murderer covers his tracks so well, but it's that one little bit of ash on the corner of the Persian rug. And then, you know, you the... Hercule Poirot or, or Sherlock Holmes, you know, from there, they just like the whole thing is blown open. Yeah, he, he talks about once he uh, was visiting Holmes. He, he was going to buy, uh, he wanted to Not buy. Not Sherlock Holmes. No, like no, this is Michael, Michael Bazell. Michael right, Bazell okay. was, was buying home, was looking to buy a new house. And so he was traveling around and he was, um, he had forgotten uh, not to use his cell phone within a distance of the home. And he discovered the house that he wanted to buy. And then it was about to sign the papers and realized that he had been talking on his phone near that house. Ugh. And um, he's extreme. Uh, but the fact is, is the record of him um, and the internet connection that he's made with the cell towers around uh, will be will be a connection. And if somebody wanted to investigate that, they would be able to find that out ultimately. And his, his whole purpose actually is to make it like it was back before the internet so that some if somebody wanted to know where you lived, they'd have to come to the town and, and uh, figure out where you were and then and consult the Hall of Records. But now that all of that information is online and publicly available for everybody, uh, you have to make Herculean backflips in order to um, hide what formerly simply required calling up the white pages and say, please don't list me. Yeah, I think the one way of putting it is that there used to be little friction for you in protecting your privacy and maximum friction for everyone else. And now it's completely the opposite. All the friction is on your side, and there's virtually no friction for any stranger who wants to find you on the other side. Right. And that is a situation which I 
hope that can be changed, um, but for the moment um, requires uh, us to be almost antisocial. <laughs> yeah, which we're not very good at ourselves. No. Okay, no. well, so we're going to start with Airbnb. And I, I should just say that I loved Airbnb from the moment I heard about it. I was not even terribly weirded out by being in strangers' homes. And with one exception, we've had great Airbnb experiences. And the one exception was not like it was like creepy or anything it was just we were the first cats it was cats it was cats we were the first people to go to a property of cats holy crap people who live with lots of cats who live with only cats only cats like it was so bad it was quite chilly it was probably like in the 30s or 40s fahrenheit that wasn't that cool but it was cold we left all the windows open i bought the first scented candle since college and kept it burning all day and like we had to like literally plug our noses when and we the ran through the hallway lived in that it was a beautiful house but the people who lived there clearly were utterly inured to had the no stench. idea just had no idea and so that's the only time I think I've been the first person to stay at a property, and <laughs> that's how I learned my lesson. Right. So, but that's not a problem with Airbnb. That's just an, something inherent. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't complain of the Airbnb service. So we, no, we have had Airbnb. we have had generally good experiences with Airbnb. And in fact, I have to say, when I I have had the same Airbnb account all along, for. Well, I mean, first of all, because I like going back and seeing where we've been. And also because the way Airbnb works is on social trust and rating. So the longer you're there and the more good points you accumulate, you know, the better your chances of getting to stay in a place you want in the future. Like, that makes sense. I can understand right. why you don't want to be anonymous or pseudonymous there. And um, I really have not looked into the degrees to which Airbnb may or may not violate your privacy or like aggregate data on you. And I know there have been like community standards questions that have come up and stuff, but I just want to go into this one since we're so skeptical of so much saying that like in principle, I love the idea of Airbnb. I think it's super cool. I've really enjoyed using it overall. Yeah. And I think there could be a a case for pseudonymous use of Airbnb, but they do require, I think, um, identification and how thing how the world functions right now it seems to me that it among the possible options it's not a horrible one as long as you have some proper operational security well and i mean i think kind of like the logic of the difference from airbnb to a hotel and i know this isn't really the case with hotels anymore but a hotel ought to be a place where you can be genuinely anonymous for whatever reason and you know there are plenty of less than ideal reasons people want to be anonymous in hotels but whatever i think that is actually a legitimate option for human society it makes total sense to me that when the housing you're offering is privately owned in a private home without the corporate structure or insurance or anything or to or guard against abuse it makes sense to not be yeah, anonymous wanna, or pseudonymous you want to vet people yeah uh, and that that's, seems fair that's right. that's fair and and honestly um hotels uh, i know this because uh i uh, have read all many Raymond Chandler novels, <laughs> and he has much interaction with the hotel detectives, mm. which apparently used to be uh, quite ubiquitous. When Probably still are, for all we know. For all we know. Um, but uh, before our meticulous records were kept of everybody, uh, there had to be somebody on hand to deal with the shady business, which apparently uh, went on quite um, regularly in hotels, or at least to keep things under control. So right. anyway, it is a problem dealing with the anonymity of people who are unrooted and might be anybody. Um, I remember my my grandpa. Um, my grandpa said. Um, uh, he, he said um, of people from a certain state. He said, "You can't trust anybody." <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't trust the name of anybody who's from there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The well. implication, the implication being that there were certain places where people ended up that um, were known to harbor, if not uh, criminals, at least people who were quite eager to change their identity and hide their past. Hmm. So this is a real issue and something that um, real person tests know your customer in, in the financial world. Um, they have some. Um, legitimate uses. So we're not totally opposed to this. Right. So I want to say that over the summer, twice I used Airbnb, uh, once just overnight with, you know, in a, a rental home belonging to a person. He met us at the door. We had a great conversation. It was a charming place. Great experience, as usual. And one other time, uh, a friend was giving me a, a long ride, and I needed to put her up for the night. We had a hotel already booked, so I I booked an Airbnb room in a private home for her. But I immediately contacted the owner and said, "I'm booking this as a gift from my friend, but it's not me who's staying; it's her that's staying. Is that okay?" And she said, "I don't like it when people do that without telling me ahead of time. But the fact that you did, no problem. But I still went anyway in person with my friend to the place so she could see me because it's my photo and identity." Is associated with my Airbnb account. And I also just want to make sure it was an okay place. It was. So two very positive experiences there. The third one we're going to talk about actually was a perfectly positive experience, but it was different in this respect. It wasn't actually a privately owned thing. It yeah, was this, this is actually where I have problems with how some companies begin to, I mean, I guess almost to kind of abuse the Airbnb platform and that they become kind of sub companies that use Airbnb to be their management. Right. And there's no, I maybe I should have been tipped off but anyway, are we going to say which city this was in? Uh, it was a very picturesque city, a very uh, quite a touristy place. Okay, and let's say generally in the southeast. Generally United in the southeast United States, okay. a very uh, very touristy place. Um, mm -hmm. Lots of hotels and lots of tourists around. So I guess it would make sense um, that, that if there were to be a place where there would be lots of Airbnbs that would be managed by an overreaching, an overarching company, that would be that. It is there's a lot of overhead to do. So I guess I can understand that these things develop. Right. Um, we have had this experience um, uh, traveling in other countries as well, where a hotel might in fact advertise its rooms on Airbnb because it knows that uh, certain people are looking for them there. Right. And those seem to often be like smaller, like pensions owned by a family. But this was definitely like a holiday rental management company. Right. And again, like I was not studying it because it didn't occur to me that I would have to study it. But the I photos didn't have... were too good. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, people do really outstanding do, yeah. photos. That that doesn't distinguish it. I just assumed it was a private owner, like always. Right. Anyway. But it was not. No, it was not. It was again. So presumably, we could have gone directly through this rental company. We didn't. And um, maybe the first thing that made me think a little bit was that after we booked the room and it were accepted, then they said they would send us an app, their travel around this city app, that we could use to find out all the place, like events and places to go. Plus, and this like app that. would allow us to um, would, would allow us to connect to their Wi-Fi. Right. And that was going to give us all of our information. And but the way they uh, and they also in the within Airbnb messaging they asked please send us your email address so we can contact you directly. Now that was what really got my guard up. Not in terms of like my safety, just like well one of the purposes you have something like Airbnb is to do all of your business yeah, through it yeah. and to obscure your email. Yeah, address. And that may be in fact a violation of Airbnb's. Um terms and conditions because they want to keep things within their walled garden so that they can be both responsible 
uh, as well as properly vetting what's going on. Right. So, well, and then if you do future business, you go through them instead of direct through the place. Yeah. That I mean, you, there's no looked. way they can they can stop that eventually, but it, it was a little bit of a and and I'm like I said, I've learned to be okay with paying a little bit extra for a vetting service. I, you know, given the extreme abundance of options as well as the extreme abundance of charlatans and con men, I don't mind paying for a little bit extra for a service to vet these things for me. So anyway, I wrote back and said, we don't give out our email address and we don't use apps. Please just send us the information directly. And they couldn't refused to do that. But when we actually got there, although I did have the information about how to get into the apartment, and of course no one met us there because it was a holiday rental company, there was no information in the room, as there often is in hotels or other places, about like how to connect to the Wi-Fi. So I ended up having to call. They didn't really call me back. I had to call a second time. I had to talk to a manager. It was all kind of a mess. And in the end, they were very helpful and sorted it out. But clearly, this no. was not what it, how it was supposed to work. It's not how it was supposed view. to work. It was also we're being difficult because we're not behaving how everybody is supposed to behave, which is that everybody throws out an email um, whenever they want, and everybody will download any any app that somebody tells them to download. I'm very wary of apps. As I mentioned a few episodes ago, uh, they are tracking devices. And there are things that you can do in both Android and iOS to limit that. But there is no uh, getting around the fact that apps are tracking devices. And um, I just don't like downloading apps from places and things that I don't know what they're about. And for a one-off use, and too. And for a one-off just, use. And it's not like the city was lacking now, in tourist granted, literature. You know, I've done it before, um, and I probably will do it again when I finally get too frustrated, but it's so fr- it's frustrating that um, places do not make it easy to uh, get things outside of their little walled garden. Yeah. Well, I will say this. Um, I, I expected this, and it proved to be the case. When we were done, I gave them a very positive rating because the place we stayed was great. The location was amazing. It would very yes. was wonderfully well maintained. So no objection to the property or anything like that. I gave them a good rating. They did not give us a rating, which I think is appropriate coming from a management company because it was not this person to person. No, we, thing. we saw nobody. Yeah, we saw nobody. We saw nobody. Oh, well, and that's the point. They didn't rate us. Right. And whereas the other two um, places where I where we stayed one night and then where my friend stayed the other night, we got ratings in return for the ratings we gave them. Yeah. But again, you know, I think that is a little bit, you know, at least violates the spirit of Airbnb, if not actually the the technical law of it, yeah. by having a you know it become a front for a, an actual company, not for private use. Yeah. And I know these things are legally fluid, but anyway, so that would just be the you know. Be cautious when you're asked for an email address and um, asked to download an app when it's not strictly necessary or is outside the ecosystem you're already using in one yeah. kind of these services. Yeah, and, um, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about are, um, while we were traveling is using um, a travel router. And this is a tip that I got from Michael Bazell's <laughs> Extreme Privacy. Uh, when you travel or when you log into a Wi-Fi network, um, in an Airbnb or a hotel an or an airport. Especially in a hotel when it's an unsecured network, when it has no uh, little padlock by it, mm-hmm. uh, when you don't have to put in a password to join the network. The kind you used to love because you're like, oh, great, I don't have to pay for yeah. Wi-Fi. Tho- <laughs> <laughs> Those networks are um, uh, leaky, and anybody who's on them can see all the traffic. Keep going. I just sneezed. <laughs> Anybody who's on them can see all of your traffic. It is not encrypted at all. Uh, so when you're on a hotel's Wi-Fi, it is uh, quite um, advisable that you buy and use a travel router. Um, and uh, Michael Bazell has good instructions on how to do that. It's not 
completely straightforward, but anybody who's um, a little bit technically savvy can figure it out. Um, and uh, the router itself will have a, a VPN um, on it, and so all of your traffic going through that little box will be encrypted um, uh, all the way, all the way. Uh, Would you advise on. that even for a secured ne hotel network, like one that sometimes they make you like put in like your room number or something? As yeah, but those are not secured the way you think they're secured. They're not. Mm. You're, they're not um, WPA three. Secured, which is you're, you're not putting in credentials and your your internet connection to that network is not encrypted to the box. Okay. Um, it is open traffic, and so um, that is a security risk. Now, if you're using if you're using only HTTPS, only secure websites, it's not necessarily a problem. But there's all kinds of traffic on your computer that may not be using secure socket layers, and so. Um, uh, uh, I tried for the first time this summer to try to overcome that. And so instead of willy-nilly logging into every hotel, I, in fact, um, used this travel router. When we would go to our room, I would set it up. And um, instead of logging into the hotel's Wi-Fi, we would simply use our own router. And that worked pretty well. Yeah. So, so there we go. So I advise that and, and try it. Um, we also did uh, a How do you do it? You just... Like on Amazon or something, buy it. Is it is it called a travel router? Yeah, um, this one that I use is called Slate. It's mm -hmm. by, by a company called GL uh, dot Inet, um, and there are other other ones that are out there. Uh, this company seems to be recommended. I used it because um, the Extreme Privacy Book recommended it. There could be later models um, since then. Um, okay. So, but those are uh, quite quite good and advisable. Then every all your traffic is encrypted through a VPN, and it, you're not being uh, tracked by that company. Um, uh, or the hotel. Now, when you log into somebody's Wi-Fi, you know, if it's a friend of yours, it's probably safe. But if you're in this um, managed hotel like we were logging into it, it was a Comcast business, uh, Comcast business um, router, I noted. Uh, there's nothing to keep them from logging all that information about you and every, any, all the traffic that you are um, doing while you're, while you're there. So in order to shield you from any that kind of data mining, um, it's advisable to try to hide that in some way. And a travel router is one way that you can do that. And I think it just is, again, getting into the habit of mind of thinking that all of my, my behavior online is immensely valuable to external parties. So if you have an unsecured or a minimally secured network, like in a hotel, you should assume they are getting extra profit off of you without your ever knowing it by tracking what you do. Or the ISP is, like Comcast, for example. And this is something that is perhaps unique to the United States. Uh, maybe not unique, but it's bad in the United States compared to, say, Europe, where the ISPs are, in fact, data miners, and they do track all of your web activity and use that information to create profiles and do sell it to advertisers. Um, I believe in, in Europe, at least in certain parts of Europe, that an ISP is not allowed to do that, and uh, there are quite strict rules um, governing how they can um, store and, and access and use that information. So um, uh, those rules do differ by jurisdiction. Right. But you can be sure in the, in the U.S. Um, your ISP is definitely tracking everything you do and recording it and making profiles. That means internet service provider for those of you who only recently learned what that 
um, acronym means like me. My dad was an ISP when I was a kid, so I know about all, all about But those. not an evil one. Not an evil one. He was a good ISP. A friendly one. A friendly ISP. Okay, well, those two stories pertain to being in uh, shelters and Airbnb homes and in hotels, so our last two very brief anecdotes have to do not with shelter, but with food, i.e. grocery stores. We each have a grocery store privacy violation story. Can you believe it? I mean, just the fact that I said that sentence is very comical. Okay, you go first with yeah, yours. Yeah, so the first one was I, w- I was buying a, a bottle of wine at a grocery store in this lovely town we were having a little bit of uh, a vacation and um i the we went to the self-checkout and uh, at the self-checkout i scanned the wine and then the red light pops on and of course somebody needs to come over and verify that i am indeed uh, over 21 and uh, legally able to purchase uh, uh, alcohol so which seems fine that is the law no objection to yeah, that yeah it's a lot so the the yeah. clerk comes over it was a very tired woman um, who came over and pressed the button very lethargically and put in her code and said show me your ID and and she just she just took it from me and went beep on top of the scanner and I went <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> it's like no it happened so fast you didn't even have I a chance even, to I didn't say have a chance that. to say because this has not happened to me before actually this this is this is somehow come into being since my consciousness. I don't remember this happening. Before. Never. Me neither. I just show your ID and they look. Yeah, okay. Uh, right. But now there's a barcode on the back. It's a QR code-like thing. And um, it is a very thorough set of information. It is um, the entire information that is on the front of your uh, driver's license is also um, scanned into whatever system it is. They scanned it. So, of, of course, um, they're just using it to verify my age. Um Perhaps that's all the information they're storing. Maybe they're not, they're not storing any information. Maybe they aren't storing my name, my state. Maybe it's for a limited amount of time. The color of my eyes, how tall I am, <laughs> my driver's license number, all of that information. Because it was just a scan of just the whole scan. front. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, no, not the whole front. It was the barcode that was on the back. But mm. the barcode contains all that information. Okay, right, yeah. So who knows what is going on with that information? Are they using that to? Pr- that's now connected to this purchase that I made. Yeah, and you have no idea who has it, how long they have it, or what they will use it for, or what no, they will I sell have no, it for. No idea. And furthermore, okay, I know this is like really jumping down the line, but social credit system, anyone, if they do this only for alcohol purchases, then what they can do is is collect information on people and how much alcohol they buy. Yeah. They theoretically, can, that's possible. Yes. Theor- well, theoretically, no, it's practically possible right now. It could be a way of deciding, you know, who do we think is in danger of having a drinking problem, and maybe we should have some kind of interventions, or maybe we should demote them on the social credits. I mean, this is horrifying. Yeah, it is horrifying, and uh, particularly for um, those from our country of origin, we are um, uh, particularly um, um, vigilant about our personal privacy. Uh, there are countries, as I mentioned before, I believe Costa Rica and maybe Chile or other places where you, in fact, have to enter your basically social security tax ID at every store when you make a purchase. For every single For purchase. For every single purchase. That is insane. In order to track um, your tax responsibility, I suppose. But in, it's a great way of tracking you in all kinds of different ways. Now, there may be technical ways of setting it up and guaranteeing it in various ways, but I doubt that's being done. Certainly not in this case. So uh, as an antidote or a solution to this, I did read about this um, again, in Michael Bazell's this, this, this story is like a big, it's a big a shill for his book, but he recommends precisely for this purpose, 
never to show your driver's license um, uh, as an ID check, but only show a passport or a passport card. Um, and the reason is, is the passport has also has a barcode on it, but that barcode only contains your passport number. And that passport number is basically useless for, for anybody. It's not a very useful set of individual information. So um, uh, that's it. I don't have a passport card. I, I probably will get one whenever I get my pass next passport, passport precisely for this reason. So there's a little tip. Um, use a passport card so you don't have all that information scanned and put into some database. Who knows what it um Yeah, but it still, it still associates your name with your alcohol purchase. Right, but it won't have your address on it, for example. I know, but I'm saying if if it's uh, heading towards a social credit system, then that's uh, yeah okay yeah. yes, but it, but it doesn't have your address and won't put you in a database and won't dox you right. So far, <laughs> so far. <laughs> okay, and then last, this is my uh, grocery store privacy violation story. We were in an entirely different state, which I would say has a entirely different um, political and cultural outlook from the state where your. Um, driver's license was scanned. I was just went into a store, bought one grocery item. So I also went to self-checkout. And while I was, you know, scanning it and paying for it, I looked up and I suddenly realized my face was being filmed. And again, I'm sure this is an antidote against theft or abuse of the self-checkout because no one's there to make sure that you actually scan all the items in your basket and take them away with you. But suddenly I was subject to filming surveillance, again, kept for how long, for what purposes, how it can be correlated with other images of my face. Fa face, certainly no consent on my part. Are they being stored in the cloud? Are they accessible by the police? I mean, I didn't even agree to this, like as part of going through, like I, they at least said a sign like if you go through self-checkout you agree to be filmed to prevent theft that would be one thing nothing like that is only i just suddenly realized that it was happening so like where does this end <laughs> like yeah where does it end? everything is tracking and photographing and following and observing absolutely everything you do and you know no amount of so-called of like legislation is going to keep this stuff safe. And as long as it's there, it can be used, and things that can be used will be used. It's just like the law of human technology. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm perhaps not quite as cynical as you are. I think there are cultural aspects to this. So um, I think what's happening right now is that it snuck up on a lot of people unawares, and it's just happened, and there's probably some sign somewhere that says that it's the case. And I, I think that... Uh, we can do what we can to protect our privacy. I'm not quite willing to wear a baseball hat, um, dark sunglasses, and a mask around all the time in order to hide my face. Uh, there they are have people gate recognition software. It wouldn't help anyway. Or to put a rock in my shoe or whatever it takes to change my gait. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I don't want to live in, in a world where I have to do that. And so I think there are, uh, or there is, if not hope, at least, um, at least the possibility that we can make steps towards having a world where that kind of inf where in that information that we give up about ourselves is reasonably secure and violations against the implicit trust that we put in all of the recorders of this data is respected and in the and in the courts is um, privacy is upheld so I, I think there's still some hope for that to happen but it will require um, a functioning society and a functioning legal system yeah. Well, I mean, part of raising the alarm is so that people agree that this ought to change. Yeah. So I, I really don't want to live in a world where I need to worry about um, AI um, tracing my steps through the day and um, putting it through some um, 
statistical algorithm and like minority report identifying me as a potential criminal. I just don't want that to happen. I don't want to live in that world. Well, then you should probably stop carrying a smartphone with you everywhere. Uh, well, um, there are uh, other options, and we'll talk about it um, uh, coming up. Not in the immediately next one, no. but yes, eventually. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.